2, verses 6 through 11. And he, God, will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Praise God for the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scripture and the worship of your people and Taylor's baptism testimony and her obedience to you to identify herself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, the best thing we can do this morning is behold you. To think of you in your majesty, in your glory, in your heavenly dwelling right now is beyond our imagination. A God so full of love and grace and compassion and also full of justice and judgment and wrath. God, we can't imagine you, not fully anyway, but God, it's what we must do as your creation to receive renewal and restoration and salvation and blessing. We must behold you. Thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bear your wrath, to pay for the punishment of sin, to, to bring about a new way, a hope, a pathway for salvation for us as wicked sinners. Thank you, God, for doing that. We worship you. We behold you, your grace. And so, Lord, now we, we think about the overflow of our lives, the works, the works that you have called us to. We think of the evil works of people who don't know Christ. And Lord, we just see that you have so much to say on this topic of works in Romans 2. So God, give us good ears to hear now. Holy Spirit, save the lost and build up the saint. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So Romans 6, 2, 6 through 11 is a continuation of our sermon series, uh, The Gospel, The Power of God for Salvation. And as we just dive into the text of Scripture this morning, the question that I am asking is this, what is the deal with works anyway? What is the deal? And how do works work? How do works work? And that's the question that we're wrestling with this morning, and that's actually the title of my sermon as well. So you get a question and a sermon title, two for the price of one this morning. And the title of the sermon question, it, it just reflects my study this week. I just want to be honest with you. I was honest at 830, 
I have wrestled with this passage. I mean, this is a, it's been a tussle all week, wrestling with works and how they work. Um, In fact, the last few weeks of preaching through Romans 1 and now Romans 2, it feels like to me, I don't know if this analogy makes any sense to you, but it feels like walking on a tightrope across two New York City skyscrapers. Can you picture yourself doing that? No net at the bottom, no net. And you're seeking to get from one end to the other end. And that's how preaching Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 feels to me. It feels like that. The, the, the amount of pressure that the human heart feels going through these big themes of the wrath of God and the lostness or the sinfulness of mankind. And it just feels like there's so much pressure, like you're tightroping across certain death at any moment, right? Because you see the, the, the immense weight of the text. And I think Paul means for it to be that way. I think the Apostle Paul says, yes and amen, Josh. Stop complaining about your tightrope. Because what Paul is doing is he is unpacking the gospel message for us. And what we know about the gospel is that it means good news. But so far in Romans 1, since verse 18, now through chapter 2, verse 11, we know that the good news has been mostly bad news so far. Wah, wah, wah. And we feel the good news of the gospel. You have to get saved. You first have to get lost. If you're going to meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and really authentically, genuinely believe in him, you have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt how sinful and lost you actually are. And if you don't know how bad or sinful you actually are, it'll be a surface level conversion. You want Jesus? Yeah. Will he improve your life? Sure. I'll take that. No hell? I'll take that as well. But here's the reality of the gospel. Whether you're a pagan person or you are a moralist, you and I, all of the world, is lost under the bad news of sin. And so here's the reality what you believe about God or don't believe about God will flesh its way out in works. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And for all the bad news that you're feeling in Romans 1 and 2, that is actually warming you up for Romans 3. Romans 3 is coming and it is beautiful. Because you're going to get all this good news about Jesus Christ. But right now, you need to feel bad. Amen. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) But here's the thing about works. Our works, the works that we do, flow from our beliefs. Our works flow from our beliefs. So what we believe will lead to works. You can take it to the bank 100% of the time. And those works that you and I do will be judged in God's presence at the end of the age. And what do I mean when I say the word works? When I say works, what do I mean? Here's what I mean. 
The word here in Romans 6 for works is the product of one's life. The flow of one's life. This isn't a one-time word. This is not a one-time password or a one-time little series of good works that you do. Paul is saying, no, works in Romans 2 is the ongoing flow of your life. What do you do over and over again when people are looking and when people aren't looking? That is the works. That's what you value. That flows from what you believe. And let's be honest, talk is cheap. Can I get an amen? Talk is cheap. And in this day, there's a lot of talk that goes on in our world today, especially with the invention of social media. It's easy to say lots of things about Jesus Christ or other things, and you don't have to live any of it. Because people only know you from your social status updates. They don't actually know how you are applying or not applying what you say you believe. So Paul is declaring in this text of scripture that God values works. And my goodness, we might as well just clip this passage out of the book of James and plaster it right in the middle of Romans 2. It feels like we're reading James, which is very ironic because Paul is the apostle of justification by grace through faith. If you know Paul, you're like, oh yeah, the grace guy, the grace through faith guy. Paul's always talking about grace through faith, grace through faith and justification and the beauty and the reality of the gospel. And here is Paul in five verses. He is absolutely putting on his James hat and he's like, works, we're going to talk about them. Look at how many times the theme of works is included by Paul in this passage. Look at verse six. He will render to each according to his works. Verse 7, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor. Verse 8, for those who do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness. Verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Right, And then verse 10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. So you see works and do and doing and obeying and not obeying. It's a theme of this text. And so as we look at this passage, I don't want you to get lost because it's essential. This is the big idea. It's essential that we understand how works work. Because if you get sideways about works, you are going off into la-la land theologically. And so it's very important that you understand how works work with biblical accuracy on the gospel and with balance and maturity. So for many of you, as you think about works in the Christian life, some of you think of this word, catechism. Think of that big Catholic book, right? Catechism. How do I work out my salvation? Read this book. You'll know all about it, right? It'll help you get to heaven too. That's what Catholics say. We don't believe that. What about sacraments? The word sacraments, do the sacraments, do the things, right? What about a more traditional view? Ordinances, the ordinances of baptism, right? It's awesome to hear Taylor give her testimony, amen? The baptism is a good work, right? That's a good work. We're excited about that work that happened. But ultimately, that is an ordinance of the church. It is a a beautiful tradition of New Testament Christianity to see people get baptized. And what about like, 
churches that just preach the Bible or, or know the Bible, it's that word obedience. Maybe you're not as high liturgy or high church, but you, you think of that Sunday school uh, song that you used to sing in the 80s and 90s, at least I do. Obedience is the very best way right, to show that you believe. And, then, and it goes on and on and on, but ultimately that's the theme. Obedience is the way you show that you believe. It's a work, right? So it's important to know What's a gospel-centered way, a gospel-centered view of works? How do I handle this in a healthy way? How do works work? Well, I'm going to give you five essentials in this text. Five essentials of how to understand how works work. And essential number one is this. Everyone does a lot of works. Everyone does a lot of works. I'm going to fly through these first two points. Because this is more of a general point. It's an observation of chapter 1, 18 through chapter 2, verse 5. Everyone does works, both good and bad. Right now, as you sit in your seat, people all over the world are doing works, good and bad. Right now. It's happening right now. In Europe, and they've been doing this day for a while now. You just woke up. You just got to church. They, they're in the afternoon right there. They've been doing stuff all day, good and bad. Unbelievers doing bad works, believers doing good works. There's a lot of works being done all around the world right now. And Paul's argument in Romans chapter 1 is that pagans fill their lives with all kinds of darkness and pride and sin and gross immorality. And they're just doing that stuff. And you cannot you know, blame those, those individuals or you can't criticize them that they're not applying what they believe. They don't believe in God, and you know what they're filling their schedule with? All kinds of wickedness and darkness and sin. And what about all those moral people in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5? What are they doing? Well, they say they believe in God, and they're not doing all the bad things, but they're filling up their schedules with religious services and church membership and outward obedience and people-pleasing and keeping up with the religious Joneses. And ultimately, genuine Christians were called to do a lot of works. Christians, in fact, are commanded to fill up their lives with doing good works. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You ever read that verse in Philippians 2, 12 and 13? For it is God who's at work. And most importantly, God is doing lots of works. More than man doing works, good and bad. God is doing a lot of works today. Can I get an amen? God's alive and well, doing a lot of things with or without your permission. He is on a mission of doing awesome stuff. I just read in my devotions this morning in Psalm 145, verse 4, One generation shall commend your works, O God, to one another, and shall declare your mighty acts. Jesus said, My Father is always working, and I am working as well. So the first essential of understanding how works work is everyone does a lot of works. You got to put that in your brain. Everybody's doing a lot of works all the time. Doesn't mean it's godly. Doesn't mean it's just like there's all these things happening all the time. Second essential to understand of how works work are works are built on faith. And again, this is just a general point of observation from chapter 118 through 211. Works are built on faith. Whatever someone believes leads them to be active. The object of your faith determines 
what works you will do in your life. And as I said in the last point, if you are an unbeliever and you're stiff-arming God, living how you want to live, saying no to Jesus, that is faith. You are believing in yourself. And you will fill up your work schedule based on your belief. Faith always drives the train. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, and you are super blessed if you do, and if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what determines your works? Jesus does. Amen? And you start filling up your schedule with works that are in tune with the gospel. So for believers, let me say it very clearly at this point. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. Amen? Amen. Authentic faith is in Jesus alone. But authentic faith in Jesus is never alone. It always has works that follow it. Here's what I mean. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of works, it's a gift of God, lest any person should boast. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So let's try to say some phrases that will be helpful for us to think about works and how they are involved in the Christian's life. Works are evidence of faith. Okay? Another way to say it, works are tattletales of what you really believe. You ever had a tattletale scene in your life? Of course you have. Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, you always have had that, that scene, right? Johnny's doing this. Johnny did this. Johnny hurt me. Johnny said something to me. Have you talked to Johnny about that? No. So you haven't solved the problem? No. So why are you telling him? Because I want Johnny to get in trouble. Amen? That is a tattletale. And here's the, here's the reality. Your works are tattletales of what you really believe. We can look at our schedules. We can look at our stuff. We can look at our, what we're doing. That is a tattletale of who you really believe in. Now, Christians are not saved by works, but are saved unto works. Christians are not saved by works. We are saved unto works. So works are built on faith. So if a young man wants to get married and he believes that he is ready to get married, you will see him start to do something if he really believes it's time for him to get married. He will stop playing video games. Come on now, preach, preacher. He will start showering. He will get a job. Amen. He will wear cologne. And all God's people said, amen. And he will start being kind to the opposite sex. So if he says he believes, I believe it's time for me to get married. Those things had better be the works that reflect his faith. And may God bless him as he goes, right? 
third essential. How do works work? The third essential is God will judge all works. And this is when we get into our passage. Verse 6. He will render to each according to his works. He will render. The word will render in verse 6, it means the principle of exact retribution. It means a just repayment. The same word is used in Psalm 62, 12, this phrase. Psalm, or Proverbs 24, 12, Hosea and Jeremiah. And it means God will justly repay all the works that all people have done for all time. Have you ever ran into somebody who said, I think I'm going to get away with this? No, you're not. Have you ever thought in your own mind, I think I got away with this? No, you didn't. According to verse 6, God will render to each one according to his works. God is, this is a very uh, financial statement, this is a very numbers type phrase. God is the ultimate numbers guy, and he's the heavenly banker keeping track of everybody's accounts. Uh Uh-oh. I'm in real debt. Because you're not getting away with anything. God is going to render according to your works. Your works are the basis of God's evaluation. And God will judge all works that all men do and women do. How do I know this? The Bible tells me so. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. 2 Timothy 4.1 says, He will judge the quick and the dead and the sons of men. Matthew 7.16 says, They will be known by their deeds. And in Revelation 20, this massive picture of God's judgment on all humanity and the end of all ages, they will be judged based on what they have done. Jesus Christ said it over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that men and women will be based on their, judged based on their deeds. Now it's time to turn to the great theologian Johnny Cash. We were in Memphis a couple weeks ago. And a few of us went to Sun Studios. Sun Studios is the small little iconic studio on the corner of a downtown Memphis street. And on that corner, you walk into this little thing. It's like, cool. It's like all these records are everywhere. It is the location where Johnny Cash cut his first big hit records, as did Elvis Presley and the guy who wrote Blue Suede Shoes or whatever. Right? I don't even know who that guy's name is. Okay, all right. So we go in there, and you know me. I'm looking around. Oh, this is awesome. Sun Studios, Johnny Cash. This is amazing. I, Johnny and Elvis. That's why I was there. Brandon Hebron over there, breaking my brain with all these other names that I don't care about. Amen. <laughs> hey, Josh, there's this person too, and this person too, and this person too. I'm like, I don't care. I'm here for Johnny, man. I'm here for Elvis. But Johnny Cash... One of his most famous songs was actually a remake of an old hymn. And if you know Johnny's story, he got saved or he surrendered his life to Christ later in life, though he grew up in the church. It was a remake of an old hymn in 2006 called God's Gonna Cut You Down. You guys know that song? Okay, well, if you don't, I'll tell you about it. The lyrics are brilliant and it says this, you can run on for a long time. 
run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. And I think Johnny, he didn't really know Romans 2.6, but that's exactly what Romans 2.6 is saying. An essential part of judging, being able to understand works is this. God is going to cut everybody down. Everybody is going to stand before God. You will not outlast God. You will die and stand before him. And all of your works are going to be judged perfectly with wisdom and grace and justice by almighty God. You need to know that. It's essential. The fourth essential of how works work is this. Bad works flow from death. This is verse 8 and 9. Bad works flow from death. But for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also to the Greek. Those who do not believe in Jesus Christ who give God the stiff arm, who do not accept God's grace in their lives for salvation, they will turn into this spiritual river of darkness and they will go into incalculable debt with God and they will be under the wrath and fury of God, the tribulation and distress of God, and that is not going to be a pleasant experience. And the bad works, they just keep coming, and it flows from a spirit of unbelief. Just talked to a guy after church, after first service, and he's working with a group of teens, and he said, Pastor, these teens, they just don't, Listen, man, all they want to do is do drugs, like, all the time. That's, that's a, literally all they want to do every day. And they can't understand the gospel. I'm trying to teach them the gospel. They're not listening to the gospel. All they want to do is they think the world revolves around them. They think that everybody should serve them. And they think that life exists for the next high. What do I do? Y'all, that's, that is the type of person verse 8 and 9 is talking about. It is the person that you and I used to be before we knew Christ. Before you get all haughty and arrogant and stuff, that's exactly what we were doing before we met Jesus. And and this is the reality. The the decisions, the works are self-seeking. The word self-seeking in verse 8, it means to be seeking or pursuing political office by unfair means. Not that that applies at all right now. Seeking to pursue political office by unfair means, it means to be infatuated with yourself. It means to be in love with the mirror. You think you are the most important person in the world. That is the person who says, God's not important. I'm important. That is pride and arrogance, and that leads to works of darkness. And when those works of darkness gets going, like you believe all kinds of lies about yourself, such phrases like, true to your heart and believe in yourself and all these ridiculous things that float around in our culture that are just devastating because you don't want to submit to God. You want to submit to you. Like, listen, like it's every Disney movie you've ever seen, right? Believe in your heart. You can do it. You're a princess. You're the queen. You're the king. You can do it. Just believe. And it's like, that is the very doctrine that is being spoken against in this. It's self-seeking. If you're the center of the universe, you're never going to be happy. 
But if God's the center, things can happen. So, bad works flow from death, a a death identity of belief or lack of belief in God. They don't obey the truth and there will be wrath and fury, tribulation and distress. And the bad works will keep going. And the wrath of God will come upon all men who don't believe in Jesus. Steady opposition, passionate punishment of God. The word tribulation and distress, that's very interesting. Tribulation and distress means to be squeezed in a narrow place. You ever been squeezed in a narrow place before? Some of you are claustrophobic. Think about that claustrophobic like nightmare that you've had. And like, that's the idea of tribulation and anguish. That is the idea of when someone rejects God, the wrath of God comes. And that is a descriptor of hell itself. Hell will feel very narrow and it'll feel very pressured. And if you meet someone who really needs Jesus in their life and you see a lot of things spinning out of control in their life, when you talk to them in the counseling room, they will say, I feel pressure and I feel darkness and I feel anguish. You need Jesus. Bad works flow from death. And the fifth essential that we'll close with is this. Good works flow from life. Verse 7 and 10. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And glory and honor and peace, verse 10, for those who do good. To the Jew first and also to the Greek So in contrast to the bad works, the good works flow from life, which means those who genuinely believe in Jesus get out of their sin debt and God empowers that person to pour out their lives in good works. So this is the exact opposite. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of your debt is paid. Amen? That's good news. All the debt of your sin is paid if you believe in Christ. And then not only do you get out of debt, which is incalculable, you begin to actually do good works for the one who saved you. And you do it in such a way that you are heaping up eternal rewards in heaven. You are pushing forward the investment. You want to talk about an investment strategy that has total gain when you get to glory? Do good works out of thankfulness for what Jesus has done for you. Think about Taylor. She gave her testimony. She's doing her her baptism here. What is the point of that? Well, the point of that is that Christ saved her at that camp. Amen? Christ saved her. So the reality of doing the baptism is not to get saved. Wouldn't that be a bummer? Like, oh, I hope I go to heaven, you know, when I come up out of the water. That's not the point. Now, the good work is this. She is beautifully walking with Christ into this reality that she's believing heaven is for real. And the reward is there. So believing in Christ is the ultimate game changer. Jesus, in John chapter 6, was asked by the crowd, what may we do that we may work the works of God? What works do we got to do? And Jesus said in verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom God has sent. Belief is the ticket. 
And once you believe, you begin to look at works differently. How, how so? Well, verse 7 says, a, a true believer will do good works out of the overflow of his salvation, and they will seek for glory. See that? They'll seek for glory, which means that believers will seek the glory of God instead of the glory of themselves. If you are truly saved by Christ, by his grace, you will start seeking the glory of the king, not your own glory. In fact, that reminds us of our church's purpose statement. Our purpose statement as a church is we exist to spread a passion for the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ to every tribe, tongue, and nation. It reminds me of Psalm 115.1, which says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. When your life has really been turned around by Christ, your good works are going to flow to seek glory for God and honor. That next phrase says glory and honor. And that word honor means God's approval, which means you do your works for an audience of one. You do your works for God. And if God sees you, that's good enough for you. How you been doing with that, Christian? How are your good works going at home or amongst your small group or in the church? Like, are you doing it for an audience of one? Or are you hoping that, hey, I hope pastor sees me doing this. I hope my small group leader sees me doing it. I hope that Christian sees me doing this. All of those things. That is when you've been saved, you do it for an audience of one and you take on the attitude of Jim Elliott, the old missionary who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So there's much more, but we're running short on time here. The believer who knows Christ Their works are filled with the pursuit of immortality, which means the unfading joy of God's presence. Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And and God will give them eternal life. And I could preach a whole sermon on that phrase. He will give eternal life. Because did you know, having eternal life is much more than a destination called heaven. Having eternal life is having Jesus inside your heart. Amen? Do you have eternal life? Means do you have Christ in your heart right now? Because if you have Christ, you have eternal life. And then your good works are just all about enjoying him more. Man, how awesome is that? So as we think about how good works work, my question for you this morning is this. What do your works reflect? And uh, Brandon, you guys and the team can come up and close us in a song here. What do your works reflect this morning? Do your works reflect that you believe in Jesus? Or do your works reflect that you believe in yourself? That's That's a personal question. Some of you say you believe in Christ, but your works don't reflect it. And you need to get right with God. You need to get real. You need to get saved. Some of you do bad things for bad reasons and you know you're not a Christian and you need to get saved this morning because you feel the wrath of God on you. And I would say most of us here this morning, we know Christ, but too often we do good works without thinking about his glory. It's time to change that. By God's grace, let's respond. What is the deal with works? How do, we, how do works 
work, well, by God's grace, we'll see Jesus. And our lives will be different this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the the word this morning. Thank you, God, for Taylor's testimony and her baptism. Thank you for your word in Romans 2. Lord, works are just, it's such a big topic. It's huge. So many things that we think about when we think about the works that we do. But Lord, there's only one work that really mattered and that was the work of Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying for us and rising again from the dead. So Lord, I pray for every Christian here that they would evaluate their motives, they would evaluate who they believe in and Lord, that they would go out of here doing the works of God out of an overflow of gratitude for the salvation that they have. And Lord, I pray for anybody here that's not a Christian, false believer. Lord, that they might feel and see the judgment of Almighty God as coming upon them. And Lord, would you please save them from their sins? Would you please cause them to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ for the first time? God, we trust you for that work. Help us to respond to you now in Jesus' name.